0: Well, last week we had a uh, fresh launch of our Building Faith initiative. We updated you on the scope and design changes and introduced you to our new Building Faith team, brought all of that before you. And as a part of this launch, we are beginning, as we said, a new website, a bi-monthly newsletter that will keep you updated on everything that's happening, the progress, any changes along the way. And along the way, you're going to hear us talk about issues related to funding and, of course, financing for this project. So, today, I wanted to take just a little bit of time to frame in our minds, if you will, a perspective on just those issues from the Word of God. And if I could summarize that perspective just right at the top for us, the most succinct way possible, I would say it like this that as we move forward, Uh, In this project, we believe firmly that God is going to supply all of our needs. At the same time, we also believe firmly that God is presenting you and me with an opportunity to participate in what He's doing. That uh, That is the way we think about this project, not as an obligation, but as an opportunity. It's an opportunity to really see how you can be a part of what God is doing through Faith Community Church. It's an opportunity to receive the blessings that come with participation in that. An opportunity to participate in all that this church has uh, given its life to. The clear focus on the glory of God. The clear uh, belief in the sufficiency and the power of His Word. The proclamation of it. The understanding of the truth when it is taught that it does its work among His people. It's an opportunity to reclaim, if you will, the proclamation of the gospel in the midst of a culture that in the church has become muddled in its message and enamored with pleasing the world. It's an opportunity to participate in launching uh, missionary efforts and training centers around the world that are dedicated to raising up just these kinds of men in nations all over the globe, training men to walk humbly with their God, to boldly proclaim His truth, to give themselves faithfully in service to the churches for the glory of God. It's really an opportunity to participate in the mission the Lord has given us, even here locally, in training up men, uh, future pastors and leaders with the Expositor Seminary. And we already see some of the fruit of that among us and the men who are are here with us being trained. It's an opportunity to participate in counseling. Potentially hundreds of people every year who are coming and being introduced to the gospel through whatever crisis has come into their lives, but hearing the sufficiency of Christ and the answer of His Word. Opportunities to participate in discipling the next generation as week after week, kids and children and youth are taught the Word of God, grounding them not only in solid theology, but in a love for God, their maker, their creator, an opportunity to participate in youth ministries that are not really um, aimed at just entertaining and uh, deadening the spiritual sensitivities of youth, but really calling them to discipleship, to sacrifice, to service for Christ. It's, a, it's an opportunity to participate and watch the, the growth of a, a ministry, even in music and in worship, that is distinct not only in its excellence Musically, but in its clarity, in its message and lyrics. So many opportunities, really. You couldn't, uh, we couldn't take the time here to name them all. Ministries to men and women and children. All of these that come with what the Lord is doing through this Building Faith program. And our desire is for you to be a part of that. To participate in that work this is what you might say, a biblical perspective on giving. It's an invitation for you really to receive the blessing that God has for those who would answer that call. And this is what you hear again and again in Scripture when it comes to passages of of giving. You hear this language of, of participation. You hear this language of opportunity. This is We might say a God-centered understanding of giving that Paul presents in the Scripture. And I want to just take us to a couple of passages this morning to help us understand this. This is just sort of running through some of the key passages of the New Testament. And and I would invite you to turn with me, first of all, to Philippians chapter 4, a letter that Paul wrote really as a letter of thanksgiving For a church that was participating together with him, he writes and he he gives them his gratitude for what they've done. And he says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, he says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. This is really our perspective as we head into this, this project and as we're looking at all the needs that are there. This is our perspective. We firmly believe that our sufficiency is from the Lord, that it is He who supplies all the needs of his body. He does it out of his own sufficiency and out of his own resources. But at the same time, we understand from Scripture that you and I are given an opportunity to participate in what God is doing. And as Paul says, an opportunity for fruit that increases to our credit, to our account from that. In fact, this word, Paul says, this word uh, for account, is the word basically logos. It's a word for a ledger. It's an accounting word, a business word. And Paul is saying that this, is, this, this giving isn't about giving resources into your account. It is about increasing resources in your account. It's about your profit, as one translation says, or in the words of Jesus, this is about storing up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thief doesn't break in and steal. When Paul approached the issue of giving, his focus was that God is the one who gives. As he says even earlier, back in verse 13, it is God, he says, who provides all things that he needs. It is God who, who strengthens him so that he can do whatever he is called to do. That verse is often used in so many different ways. People miss the fact that verse 13 of First, uh, Philippians chapter 4 is a verse about giving. It's a verse about Paul being content with whatever he has because God has provided whatever he needs. It's a verse about a church that participated together. But throughout all of this, Paul had a clear understanding that that he could do all things that the Lord had called him to do because God is the one who was his strength. But then Paul, understanding that, he also invited others to participate in what God was doing. To give them an opportunity, he says, to find a blessing, to find a benefit for their account. It's another passage, another perspective over in Second Corinthians that Paul gives us also from the Macedonians. The same perspective, really, that you hear coming there in the Philippian church, and and we might call it just an an inspiring example of participation, an inspiring example of the Corinthians or excuse me, of the Macedonians and their participation together with Paul. He says this in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, Well, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that was given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. Of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. so here we have these Macedonians who had very limited resources. Paul says they were in the midst of severe hardship, they were in the midst of severe poverty, even they, they had these, these constraints on them because of their circumstances and yet He says that they were begging for what? They were begging for opportunity. Opportunity of participation in what God was doing. Opportunity to take part in the work that God was accomplishing through Paul's ministry to the Judeans. There was no obligation. There was no coercion. There was no sense of desperation. There was just a sense that God was at work. God was supplying and they had opportunity to participate. They knew there was a need, and they didn't want to miss out on the opportunity of being a part of it, of investing in this, in this participation, of being a part of what God was doing through this offering. They saw the giving as an opportunity not only to express gratitude and thanks And grace to God but as a way to receive blessing and grace from God they understood that there were unique blessings that would come to them that were would be a part for them only through this participation only by taking part in this way and in this way that God was working among the Judeans this is biblical giving a biblical perspective of giving It's a perspective of Paul, a man who knew that he served a God with unlimited resources. Unlimited resources. And so he presented, when he presented these opportunities, he presented them as a way for people to to be involved with what God was already supplying, what God was already doing. He understood that there would be tremendous blessing for them when they did. And he never put anyone under obligation to do any part of it. He says in the end of verse 3 here in 2 Corinthians 8, he says these these Macedonians, they begged of their own accord. This is coming from their own heart because of the maturity of their understanding. You see, the Apostle Paul didn't look at the world as a pool of limited resources. He didn't look at even the church as a pool of limited resources. He didn't look at it as a, a pie That that you could sort of slice up in different ways for different things, but the pie never got any bigger. That wasn't his perspective. He didn't size up people based on what he estimated was the limits of their worth or what they could do. He looked at people as conduits of God's blessing, venues through which the Lord could always accomplish what he wanted to accomplish, avenues through whom he could provide for his work. And then he presented people with opportunities to participate in what God was doing. This is what you hear from Paul. In fact, if you have your Bibles, I want to take you to another passage there in in 2 Corinthians 9. Another uh, perspective from Paul. We might call it a clear explanation of our resources. In 2 Corinthians 9, in verse 16, this is what Paul says. He presents a picture of two kinds of farmers to illustrate the point of where these resources come from. He says in verse 6, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times... You may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So here's the Apostle Paul. He presents what is in front of you and I as the picture of these two farmers or, or, or two, maybe we might say two, pathways that any one farmer could take. Gordon MacDonald paints the picture well here. He says, quote, An ancient farmer walks down the furrows of his newly plowed field. He reaches into his seed bag for a handful of seed and begins to spread it. And consciously or unconsciously, he makes a decision at that instant. Will he permit the seed to flow abundantly through his fingers into the soil... Or will he tighten his fingers so that the seed flows sparingly? What might influence him to hold back? MacDonald says, fear that he might not have enough seed left at the end of the furrow. Concern that the seed is so expensive that he can't afford to waste even a pinch of it. Doubt in the quality of the soil or the quality of the coming rain. Making him hesitate to invest all of his seed in one spot. On the other hand, the farmer may know his soil well and be supremely optimistic of a good harvest. Perhaps he's confident of prevailing weather patterns, but most of all, he could be a farmer who has ultimate trust in the God of nature and simply anticipates good things from the hand of his heavenly Father. In all these cases, the farmer will lavish the seed on the soil. That's Paul's point. This is the perspective he says that we have whenever we come to whatever the Lord is doing. Whatever opportunities are put in front of us. Is that in this area of giving, this is the principle that is operative. That as you sow, as you give, God causes a a harvest through what you invest so that you have more to give. And consequently, if you sow bountifully, he says, you reap bountifully. And He increases your resources to be able to participate even more as you go through this. It's very plain and simple. And Paul's explaining that you have to have this vision when it comes to giving. You, you can't be under compulsion. You can't be a non-cheerful giver. You can't be a grudging giver. You have to give cheerfully, gratefully for the opportunity, eager to sow as much as you can, as much as the seed as God has entrusted to you, to see as much fruit as will come from you because you understand that with this, the, 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 the lavish sowing of seed comes more opportunity from the Lord. In fact, in verse 8, he says you do this with conviction that God is able to make grace abound to you, so that as you participate in this good work, God provides sufficiency in order that you can continue participating and even abounding in the good work. Paul confirms it with a quote in verse 9 from Psalm 112, and then he summarizes it in verse 10 with the clear, clear principle You will be enriched in every way in order to be. Generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. See, Paul didn't look at people and see limited pools of resources. He didn't size up people and he didn't uh, take account of whatever group he was talking to and understand them as some limited pie that can only be sliced up one way or the other. He saw people, he had the conviction that God was able to supply all the needs of his work, of his church, of whatever it was, he was able to supply all the needs according to his riches in glory and that God gives us an opportunity to participate as he does that. To become the conduit for His blessings. And as we do that, God is the one who supplies all of the seed for the sowing. There's no way around the message. It's a message of the Scripture. And Paul says he is able to multiply your seed. To make you abundant in your ability. If you make yourself that conduit. And in doing that, he says, you receive a tremendous blessing in return. Now, I know some people hear that and they say, well, that sounds to me like the prosperity gospel. That that sounds like manipulation. That sounds like just someone who is trying to extract or whatever from people. This all sounds like the false seed faith movement, you know, you give in order to get. Well, If that's what you are hearing, then you're really not understanding what Paul's saying here. You're hearing half, maybe, of the message. What Paul is saying, he's not suggesting that you give in order to get. What he's saying is that you give in order to be able to give more. He's saying that when you sow this seed bountifully, God provides you with more seed. Not for hoarding it up in storehouses to yourself, but He understands that you become a conduit through which He can entrust resources for more giving. And he's not saying that you, you give a little seed of faith and then God provides you with a whole bunch in return so you can just hoard it up and spend it on yourself. He isn't about increasing your storehouses or building your treasures here on earth. This is about God supplying more and more seed for sowing. It's a little bit like the, the picture of the widow and Zarephath in 1 Kings 17 when Elijah approaches her. He's been, of course, run out of Israel and on his uh, uh, way, running away from Jezebel. And in that moment, he has a need. The prophet of God approaches this woman and asks her for a loaf of bread. She says, you know, I don't have anything left. I've got, I, this is my last little bit, and I'm getting ready to bake this cake. My son and I are going to go eat it, and then we're going to die. He says, no, that's not the way it works. He says, you, you go bake the cake, divide it between you, yourself, and me, and your son, he says, you divide it between us and then God will take care of the rest. And, and that story illustrates so well the way the Lord works because we're, we're told that as she did that, the, the jugs of her oil and the jars of her flour were never spent. Every time she went back for more, there was more to give. The Lord does this, we're told. Powerfully supplying everything we need. This lady, this this widow the Lord powerfully began using as a conduit for His work, for His provision for whatever He was doing. And here in 2 Corinthians 9, this is exactly what Paul is saying to us. This is the way you respond. You, you don't just... You don't just respond so you can hoard up resources for your own pleasures. He's saying that as you sow, God is going to provide more and more seeds so that you can reap the benefit and the blessing of participating together in His work. Now that's just a tremendous truth that if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. And then listen to the way Paul describes it in verse 11. You will be enriched, he says... And not only that, through us or through this work, it will produce thanksgiving to God. So he's saying you're going to receive a blessing by being a part of what God is doing. It's going to generate all of this fruit and this blessing, not not even primarily financially. It's going to produce thanksgiving, honor, worship to the Lord. In fact, verse 12, he says the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, it not only has that sort of uh, material uh, benefit, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Paul's saying, look, this is going to produce fruit that you can't even imagine. It's going to overflow with an abundance of fruit in the way that people are going to begin worshiping God and thanking God. And not only that, he says they're going to respond in tangible ways with a yearning and a longing for you. They're even going to begin to pray for you. No doubt if they had been in the same vicinity, they would have ministered whatever gifts they had to these Corinthians. But being so far apart, they gave their hearts and their lives to prayer. He's saying it's going it's to result in so many blessings that come back, come back in return to you. You're going to receive not only all sufficiency so that you can continue to be generous in every way, but you're going to receive ministry back in return in ways you cannot calculate. And then he says in verse 15, Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. You know, when you really begin to understand what the Scripture is teaching, this is the only response you can have. This is an inexpressible gift, an inexpressible opportunity. You know, I was thinking about this this week when I was thinking about the ministry of John and Sue Hartwell. I was visiting whenever I was in Kenya with Stephen Mzungu. Stephen, uh, we've known him through the years and and we were sitting down for a cup of tea and he was telling me about how he had this biblical counseling curriculum that had been given to him, uh, several DVDs and workbooks and all that stuff that had been given to him by John and Sue. And he said he had gone about halfway through the the, the project and, and about halfway through, a light went on. And he said... I realized that they're not trying to just teach me some method, some course in biblical counseling. They're trying to change my whole view of Scripture. And he said, I realized I had to go all the way back to the beginning because everything I'd heard, I'd missed so much. And so so just listening to this guy talk about how he is just drinking in the richness of this resource. And then he started to tell how... He was teaching a little group in his church, and and he started to teach some of these principles to his group, and this little group outgrew it, and they had to move him into the worship center. And then now, you know, all these folks are coming and listening to his ministry, and he's he's training even his his senior pastor, you know, to to be in these principles. I'm just sitting there thinking about all of the the fruit and the blessings that are resounding both both here. In, in the thanksgiving and the honor that was coming from Stephen to, to John and Sue, but even eternally, how they can't even uh, quantify, calculate what is going to happen from the investment that they made in that man. In fact, I was, I was really amazed as I thought about it because I'm pretty sure that John was not even working when they decided to make that sacrifice, to make that investment. But they sowed as bountifully as they could and they are seeing a rich fruit of harvest from that sort of generosity. You know, that's why we're excited really about what is happening through this building faith process. We're excited really to present to you opportunities, present to you and me and everyone else to invest in something that's going to produce so much ministry So many fruits, so many things are going to happen through what the Lord is doing and yield the benefit not only for what you see immediately, but for years to come. The thanksgiving, the worship, the praise, the discipleship, the transformed lives. Tremendous opportunity to sow and to see God provide the seed. Seed that you may not even have, but you sow bountifully. He provides the seed from His unlimited resources through you. And as He provides, He provides for His church through this project. And so that the, the giving is not an act of division, dividing up limited resources. It's really an act of faith in a God who abundantly gives everything we need. It's an opportunity first to participate and experience the blessings that come through being a part of what God's doing and secondly, an opportunity for you to see God grow your faith. To see God entrust you with more and more so that you can sow more and more. And we're not ashamed to provide that opportunity. In fact, I want to show you one more place where you... See this principle presented in one of the most scandalous of ways. It's over in Luke, Luke chapter 16. We might just call it a scandalous parable of giving. I mean, it really drives home the audacious message of the Scripture when it comes to participating in what the Lord is doing. You know, if all of this talk about giving away resources and God just supplying you more to give, if all of that sounds shocking and maybe even a little audacious, then you probably are understanding exactly what the Scripture is describing. And Jesus captures this whole thing in this shocking and scandalous parable in Luke 16. It's a teaching about stewardship. He tells a story about a money manager, a steward, who apparently is over a large estate. And this man is managing money that does not belong to him. And in the story Jesus tells, this money manager does this audacious, maybe we would even say presumptuous thing. He's called to account, we're told, at the beginning of this, for what was apparently not being faithful and knowing that he's about to lose his job, knowing it's about to be taken away from him, he begins to basically give away the money of his master lavishly. And he does it in a way that is intentionally calculated and designed to bring the most personal benefit that he can bring to himself through the use of these resources this is what jesus says he says in verse one there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions and he called him and said to him what is this that i hear about you turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe the master? And He said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. And he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said, Take your bill and write eighty. And the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by the means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails they may receive you into eternal dwellings. A scandalous story. But Jesus says there's a principle here. He's commending and praising this steward not for his dishonesty, but for the recognition of the opportunity that was in front of him. Recognizing that at least for the time when his master had entrusted these resources to him, that he could actually give away the resources of his master in such a way that it would bring personal, long-term benefits to himself. These people to whom he's giving, they're going to give him all the credit, even though it wasn't his money. The master recognizes the shrewdness of the steward, seeing the opportunity in front of him, using it in a clever way. And the argument here is from the lesser to the greater. How much more will God, who has unlimited resources, that will never run out, and who actually wants you to give away his resources... How much more sense does it make for you and I to give away what is His so we might receive the personal blessings that come from it? That's the point of Christ's parable here. And He goes on in verses 10 through 13 to give a very clear and simple summary and application of all of this. He says in verse 10, The one who's faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Jesus is turning attention here to eternal rewards. He's saying, look, you've been entrusted with whatever you've been entrusted, whatever little bit has been given to you, and your faithfulness Directly responds to how you are dealing with this. If you're faithful in little. God knows that you have sown the seed that he has given to you. He will supply you with more seed to sow. He knows that you will be faithful with more. And in that sense, you and I are in constant examination. God is examining, God is weighing out how we're handling His resources. He's seeing if we're investing in His work, participating in what He's doing, if we can be the conduit through which He's going to work to supply whatever needs for whatever He's doing. And Jesus says it's really not a matter of how much you have. It's a question of what you're doing with it. It's really a question of your spiritual character. How much you're trusting the Lord to sow bountifully the seed that you've been given. And what you do with the Lord's resources that He's provided has direct implications, He says, on what happens afterward. On what you're further entrusted with. Jesus says in another parable, He doesn't want you to take what He's given and bury it in the ground out of fear that somehow you might lose it or squander it. He's given it to you to invest in His work. And if you're faithful with it, He will entrust you with what you need to continue investing more and more. It's a scandalous thing, really, when you think about it. Just as scandalous as this steward throwing around his master's resources but like this money manager in this parable, the Lord has entrusted us and given us opportunities to reap so much personal benefit from what is His. Jesus says all this and He gives us warning because He understood there are always some who hear this message and they respond with resentment They respond with suspicion. And so he says in verse 13, Look, no one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus understood the nature of man. He understood really the nature of servanthood. And he understood that you cannot serve two masters. There is uh, an, an axiomatic statement here is just common sense no man can serve two masters because he he will resent the one who doesn't really own him coming and trying to make demands in his life and so he's saying, look, this is going to really tell where your ownership is. When, when the Lord comes and presents to you opportunities to be involved with His work, when you resent that kind of thing, when you hate that kind of thing, it demonstrates where your lordship is. But if your lordship is there with Christ, and Christ is presenting His work before you, and you understand it's His resources... There's no resentment, there's no hatred. There's just an evaluation of the opportunities the Lord is presenting in front of you. The opportunities you have to participate, the opportunities you have to to believe, the opportunities you have to follow. No resentment when he puts demands on your life. To be involved with what he's doing. This is a this is really our perspective as we move forward. And as I said, this is really why we are excited about the opportunity that we put in front of you and even in front of ourselves to participate in what God is doing at Faith Community Church. Not only to see God working powerfully through you, to see Him supply more and more as you sow more and more, but it's an opportunity. For you to see a harvest of ministry growing all around you. Ministry that eventually pours back into your own life. Into your own family. Into the furtherance of the kingdom. Worship and thanksgiving abounding to the glory of God through all that He's doing. And we're going to present opportunities to participate with what God's entrusted. Opportunities for you to give, obviously, to our building faith offerings. Opportunities to use money that you have in IRAs or 401Ks and and direct those in the work of the Building Faith Initiative. Direct mandatory giving through your IRA, your 401K distributions or even parts of your estate. All of those ways. I mean, we, we plan to utilize all of them but none of it by coercion. None of it under obligation. We stand with the Lord and say confidently, He is will provide our needs. We believe that with all of our hearts. What we really cheerfully and enthusiastically present is an invitation to be a part of what God's doing. I'm excited to see and hear the testimonies already of how God is going to work really through us and in this to grow our faith, to see His amazing power, to magnify His name and to bless our lives through through all of this, sowing the seed God has given you, seeing the fruit that He brings, increasing the benefit to our account. Well, let's stand together and we'll be uh, dismissed with a word of prayer. Lord, we are humbled to bow before You as the Lord of the church, the Head from whom all things flow supplying all the joints and marrow, those are not just words on a page for us, O Lord. That That is our confession. That is our gospel. And so, Lord, we are just asking you to guide and direct us to grow our faith, to show us your power again, to give us opportunities or help us to seize the opportunities in front of us To take part in the blessings that you have to give. Lord, we know that you are the supplier. Everything we have, we have from you. And so we know our resources then are not even limited to what we see, but they are abundant, abundant through you. And Lord, as you supply, as you work, we will praise you. We will honor you as the giver, as the supplier as the one who has entrusted us with your own things for your own glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.